0: Volume two chapter one of the tenant of wildfell hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume two chapter one persistence. September twenty fourth in the morning I rose light and cheerful, nay intensely happy. The hovering cloud cast over me by my aunt's views and by the fear of not obtaining her consent was lost in the bright effulgence of my own hopes and the too delightful consciousness of requited love it was a splendid morning and i went out to enjoy it in a quiet ramble in company with my own blissful thoughts the dew was on the grass and ten thousand gossamers were waving in the breeze the happy red breast was pouring out its little soul in song and my heart overflowed with silent hymns of gratitude and praise to heaven but i had not wandered far before my solitude was interrupted by the only person that could have disturbed my musings at that moment without being looked upon as an unwelcome intruder mr huntingdon came suddenly upon me so unexpected was the apparition that i might have thought it the creation of an over-excited imagination had the sense of sight alone borne witness to his presence. But immediately I felt his strong arm round my waist and his warm kiss on my cheek, while his keen and gleeful salutation, my own Helen, was ringing in my ear. Nor yours yet, said I, hastily swerving aside from this too presumptuous greeting. Remember my guardians. You will not easily attain my aunt's consent. Don't you see she is prejudiced against you? I do, dearest and you must tell me why that i may best know how to combat her objections i suppose she thinks i am a prodigal pursued he observing that i was unwilling to reply and concludes that i shall have but little worldly goods wherewith to endow my better half if so you must tell her that my property is mostly entailed and i cannot get rid of it there may be a few mortgages on the rest a few trifling debts and encumbrances here and there but nothing to speak of and though i acknowledge i am not so rich as i might be or have been still i think we could manage pretty comfortably on what's left my father you know was something of a miser and in his latter days especially saw no pleasure in life but to amass riches and so it is no wonder that his son should make it his chief delight to spend them which was accordingly the case until my acquaintance with you dear helen taught me other views and nobler aims and the very idea of having you to care for under my roof would force me to moderate my expenses and live like a christian not to speak of all the prudence and virtue you would instil into my mind by your wise counsels and sweet attractive goodness but it is not that said i it is not money my aunt thinks about she knows better than to value worldly wealth above its price what is it then she wishes me to to marry none but a really good man what a man of decided piety ahem well come i'll manage that too it's sunday to-day isn't it i'll go to church morning afternoon and evening and comport myself in such a godly sort that she shall regard me with admiration and sisterly love as a brand plucked from the burning i'll come home sighing like a furnace and full of the savour and unction of dear mr Blayton's discourse mr leighton said i dryly is mr leighton a sweet preacher helen a dear delightful heavenly-minded man he is a good man mr huntingdon i wish i could say half as much for you oh i forgot you are a saint too i crave your pardon dearest but don't call me mr huntingdon my name is arthur i'll call you nothing for i'll have nothing at all to do with you if you talk in that way any more if you really mean to deceive my aunt as you say you are very wicked and if not you are very wrong to jest on such a subject i stand corrected said he concluding his laugh with a sorrowful sigh now resumed he after a momentary pause let us talk about something else and come nearer to me helen and take my arm and then i'll let you alone i can't be quiet while i see you walking there i complied but said we must soon return to the house no one will be down to breakfast yet for long enough he answered you spoke of your guardians just now helen but is not your father still living yes but i always look upon my uncle and aunt as my guardians for they are so indeed though not in name my father has entirely given me up to their care i have never seen him since dear mamma died when i was a very little girl and my aunt at her request offered to take charge of me and took me away to Stainingley, where i have remained ever since and i don't think he would object to anything for me that she thought proper to sanction but would he sanction anything to which she thought proper to object no i don't think he cares enough about me Oh, well, he is very much to blame but he doesn't know what an angel he has for a daughter which is all the better for me as if he did he would not be willing to part with such a treasure and mr huntingdon said i I suppose you know i am not an heiress he protested he had never given it a thought and begged i would not disturb his present enjoyment by the mention of such uninteresting subjects i was glad of this proof of disinterested affection for annabella wilmot is the probable heiress to all her uncle's wealth in addition to her late father's property which she has already in possession i now insisted upon retracing our steps to the house but we walked slowly and went on talking as we proceeded i need not repeat all we said let me rather refer to what passed between my aunt and me after breakfast when mr huntingdon called my uncle aside no doubt to make his proposals and she beckoned me into another room where she once more commenced a solemn remonstrance which however entirely failed to convince me that her view of the case was preferable to my own you judge him uncharitably aunt i know said i his very friends are not half so bad as you represent them there is walter hargrave millicent's brother for one he is but a little lower than the angels if half she says of him is true she is continually talking to me about him and lauding his many virtues to the skies you will form a very inadequate estimate of a man's character replied she if you judge by what a fond sister says of him the worst of them generally know how to hide their misdeeds from their sister's eyes and their mothers too and there is lord lowborough continued i quite a distant man who told you so lord lowborough is a desperate man he has dissipated his fortune in gambling and other things and is now seeking an heiress to retrieve it i told miss wilmot so but you're all alike she haughtily answered she was very much obliged to me but she believed she knew when a man was seeking her for her fortune and when for herself she flattered herself she had had experience enough in those matters to be justified in trusting to her own judgment and as for his lordship's lack of fortune she cared nothing about that as she hoped her own would suffice for both and as for his wildness she supposed he was no worse than others besides he was reformed now yes they can all play the hypocrite when they want to take in a fond misguided woman well i think he's about as good as she is said i but when mr huntingdon is married he won't have many opportunities of consorting with his bachelor friends and the worse they are the more i long to deliver him from them to be sure my dear and the worse he is i suppose the more you long to deliver him from himself yes provided he is not incorrigible that is the more i long to deliver him from his faults to give him an opportunity of shaking off the adventitious evil gut from contact with others worse than himself and shining out in the unclouded light of his own genuine goodness to do my utmost to help his better self against his worse and make him what he would have been if he had not from the beginning had a bad selfish miserly father who to gratify his own sordid passions restricted him in the most innocent enjoyments of childhood and youth and so disgusted him with every kind of restraint and a foolish mother who indulged him to the top of his bent deceiving her husband for him and doing her utmost to encourage those germs of folly and vice it was her duty to suppress and then such a set of companions as you represent his friends to be poor man said she sarcastically his kind have greatly wronged him they have cried i and they shall wrong him no more his wife shall undo what his mother did well said she after a short pause i must say helen i thought better of your judgment than this and your taste too how you can love such a man i cannot tell or what pleasure you can find in his company for what fellowship hath light with darkness or he that believeth with an infidel he is not an infidel and i am not light and he is not darkness his worst and only vice is thoughtlessness and thoughtlessness pursued my aunt may lead to every crime and will but poorly excuse our errors in the sight of god mr huntingdon i suppose is not without the common faculties of men he is not so light-headed as to be irresponsible his maker has endowed him with reason and conscience as well as the rest of us the scriptures are open to him as well as to others and if he hear not them neither will he hear though one rose from the dead and remember helen continued she solemnly the wicked shall be turned into hell and they that forget god and suppose even that he should continue to love you and you him and that you should pass through life together with tolerable comfort how will it be in the end when you see yourselves parted for ever you perhaps taken into eternal bliss and he cast into the lake that burneth with unquenchable fire there for ever to not for ever i exclaimed only till he has paid the uttermost farthing for if any man's work abide not the fire he shall suffer loss yet himself shall be saved but so as by fire and he that is able to subdue all things to himself will have all men to be saved and will in the fulness of time gather together in one all things in christ jesus who tasted death for every man and in whom god will reconcile all things to himself whether they be things in earth or things in heaven oh helen where did you learn all this in the bible aunt i have searched it through and found nearly thirty passages all tending to support the same theory and is that the use you make of your bible and did you find no passages tending to prove the danger and the falsity of such a belief No i found indeed some passages that taken by themselves might seem to contradict that opinion but they will all bear a different construction to that which is commonly given and in most the only difficulty is in the word which we translate everlasting or eternal i don't know the greek but i believe it strictly means for ages and might signify either endless or long-enduring and as for the danger of the belief i would not publish it abroad if i thought any poor wretch would be likely to presume upon it to his own destruction but it is a glorious thought to cherish in one's own heart and i would not part with it for all the world can give here our conference ended for it was now high time to prepare for church everyone attended the morning service except my uncle who hardly ever goes and mr wilmot who stayed at home with him to enjoy a quiet game of cribbage in the afternoon miss wilmot and lord lowborough likewise excused themselves from attending but mr huntingdon vouchsafed to accompany us again whether it was to ingratiate himself with my aunt i cannot tell but if so he certainly should have behaved better i must confess i did not like his conduct during service at all holding his prayer-book upside down or open at any place but the right he did nothing but stare about him unless he happened to catch my aunt's eye or mine and then he would drop his own on his book with a puritanical air of mock solemnity that would have been ludicrous if it had not been too provoking once during the sermon after attentively regarding mr leighton for a few minutes he suddenly produced his gold pencil-case and snatched up a bible perceiving that i observed the movement he whispered he was going to make a note of the sermon but instead of that as i sat next to him i could not help seeing that he was making a caricature of the preacher giving to the respectable pious elderly gentleman the air and aspect of a most absurd old hypocrite and yet upon his return he talked to my aunt about the sermon with a degree of modest serious discrimination that tempted me to believe he had really attended and profited by the discourse just before dinner my uncle called me into the library for the discussion of a very important matter which was dismissed in few words now nell said he this young huntingdon has been asking for you what must i say about it your aunt would answer no but what say you i say yes uncle replied i without a moment's hesitation for i had thoroughly made up my mind on the subject very good cried he now that's a good honest answer wonderful for a girl well, i'll write to your father to-morrow he's sure to give his consent so you may look on the matter as settled you'd have done a deal better if you'd taken wilmot i can tell you but that you won't believe at your time of life it's love that rules the roost at mine it's solid serviceable gold i suppose now you'd never dream of looking into the state of your husband's finances or troubling your head about settlements or anything of that sort i don't think i should well be thankful then that you've wiser heads to think for you i haven't had time yet to examine thoroughly into this young rascal's affairs but i see that a great part of his father's fine property has been squandered away but still i think there's a pretty fair share of it left and a little careful nursing may make a handsome thing of it yet and then we must persuade your father to give you a decent fortune as he has only one besides yourself to care for and if you behave well who knows but what i may be induced to remember you in my will continued he putting his finger to his nose with a knowing wink thanks uncle for that and all your kindness replied i well and i questioned this young spark on the matter of settlements continued he and he seemed disposed to be generous enough on that point i knew he would said i but pray don't trouble your head or his or mine about that for all i have will be his and all he has will be mine and what more could either of us require and i was about to make my exit but he called me back stop stop cried he we haven't mentioned the time yet when must it be your aunt would put it off till the lord knows when but he is anxious to be bound as soon as may be he won't hear of waiting beyond next month and you i guess will be of the same mind so not at all uncle on the contrary i should like to wait till after christmas at least oh pooh pooh never tell me that tale i know better cried he and he persisted in his incredulity nevertheless it is quite true i am in no hurry at all how can i be when i think of the momentous change that awaits me and of all i have to leave it is happiness itself to know that we are to be united and that he really loves me and i may love him as devotedly and think of him as often as i please However, I insisted upon consulting my aunt about the time of the wedding, for I determined her counsels should not be utterly disregarded, and no conclusions on that particular are come to yet. End of volume two, chapter one recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.